Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Worship Center in Brighton, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit faithworshipcenter.org. Amen. Last Wednesday night, we taught on the person of the Holy Spirit. We are currently in a series called Theos. It's a Bible doctrines series where we are focusing on some of the central uh, doctrines of the Word of God from the beginning to the end. <clears throat> we believe that an understanding of Bible doctrine is really the safest guard against false doctrine out there, knowing the Word of God, knowing what the Bible says. And so tonight, <clears throat> we are going to be teaching on the nine gifts of the Spirit. We dealt with the person of the Holy Spirit last week, but tonight we want to deal with the nine gifts of the Spirit. And before we begin tonight, let's just ask the Lord's blessing tonight. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus. God, we ask you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God, to minister your word, God, to teach and preach your word to your people, Lord. God, we ask, God, that you would bring revelation, that you would bring understanding of your word, God. We thank you, Lord, that the teacher, the true teacher, lives within inside of us and brings revelation of your word. And so, God, we ask that the Holy Spirit would make real your word tonight. And, Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. <clears throat> you know, what I love about the Bible is <clears throat> if you, compared to any other book out there, if you went to Barnes & Noble, and you picked up a book off the shelf and you began to read through it. If you were to read through that book and you had a question as to what the author meant, most likely you would not be able to call up the author and ask the author what they meant by that statement. But when it comes to the word of God, you've got the author living inside of you. And the Holy Spirit, he brings revelation of the word of God. He brings revelation of the truth of the word of God. So tonight... We're going to be teaching on the nine gifts of the Spirit. What are the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit? You see, it's important to know and to understand what the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit are because Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1 that we ought to desire spiritual gifts. And that word desire, it means to covet, but in the, in the right way. <clears throat> that we ought to desire, and this is... Uh, speaking of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to take you uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Verse 1 through 11, Paul said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. So this means here that it was the, the Holy Spirit's desire for the whole church to know about these gifts. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversity of gifts, speaking of different types of gifts, but the same Spirit, but the same Spirit, which this means that the Holy Spirit will never contradict himself. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And really what this means is that if the gifts of the Holy Spirit are allowed to function properly and biblically, then all will be benefited by it. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And that's really important there. Distributing to each one individually as he wills. So this tells us that all the distribution of the gifts is within the discretion of the Holy Spirit, which tells us that no individual has the ability 
to impart a gift to another individual, but this is the domain of the Holy Spirit alone. Only the Holy Spirit can impart the gifts of the Spirit. We can pray for people and ask God to, to use them in certain gifts, but it is ultimately the Holy Spirit that distributes the gifts as he sees fit. Now, how many of you have heard of the term cessationism? Cessationism. Have you ever heard that term? Can you raise your hand here tonight? Cessationism. What is cessationism as opposed to continuationism? Have you ever heard that word before? Cessationism versus continuationism. Cessationism is a teaching of some that these gifts here that we just mentioned of the Holy Spirit ceased after the apostles in the early church or after the New Testament was complete. Now, this view here it originated by a man by the name of John Calvin, John Calvin, and it is an incorrect interpretation of the word of God. Now, cessationism basically is a teaching that uh, whenever the New Testament was complete or after the early church passed away, after the apostles passed away, that God no longer uses the gifts of the Spirit in the church today. Uh, that, uh, and we'll, we'll talk more about it, uh, about that in just a moment. But I want to compare that tonight with uh, continuation theology. Continuation theology is a distinct theological position that arose in opposition to cessationism, meaning that we believe that the nine gifts of the Spirit have not ceased from operation and that God, through the Holy Spirit, still uses these gifts for the edification of the body of Christ today. How many of you believe that tonight? Acts chapter 2 and verse 39 talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and says that this promise is for you and your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like continuation to me. <clears throat> God, he's still pouring out his Holy Spirit. We ought to pray that prayer that we just sung in that song, Lord, send the rain, pour out your Holy Spirit. Amen. God, he's still operating in those gifts today. So why is cessationism unbiblical? There's a lot of organizations out there that adhere to this Calvinistic teaching that the gifts of the Spirit ceased uh, uh, years ago. Why is it unbiblical? Now, I want to take you to one of the main verses that they use to try to disregard the gifts of the Spirit. There are others out there. We're not going to have time to cover every one of them tonight. But I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. It says, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, or that which is perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, Think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with the childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. And then verse 13, but now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. But I want to take you back to verse 10. Because that's the, the primary verse here. Um, but when that which is perfect has come. So this is a verse that the uh, Calvinists and cessationists use to try to claim that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. They'll say, but when that which is perfect has come, they say that that refers to the completion of the new Testament. And so they say, since we have this perfect revelation from God as now complete in the entire Bible, that we no longer need such gifts of the Spirit since they were given to confirm the gospel message in the first century. Now, I definitely believe that the New Testament canon is God-breathed and from the Spirit, of course. Uh, but we, we must realize here that the, the perfect spoken of in this passage by no means is speaking of the completion of the New Testament. I want to break this down for you uh, because really 
uh, we have to read this more carefully. And the key to this is really found in verse 12. Because in verse 12, it says, uh, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So when verse 10 states, but when that which is perfect comes, the partial will pass away. This is not speaking of the completion of the New Testament, but verse 12 shows that it is speaking of when Christ comes and completes all, making all things new. Who will we see face to face? We're going to see Christ face to face. And Paul goes on to say that he would fully, he would know fully, even as he had fully known. Known by whom? Known by Christ. So when that which is perfect comes, when, when that's stated, it's in reference to the final consummation of Christ's return. Therefore, this passage teaches that we will no longer need such signs and gifts of the Spirit once Christ returns. But we still have a lot to accomplish in the kingdom of God. And all of God's gifts, whether it's healings, miracles, uh, giving, prophecy, are needed to advance the kingdom of God. They're needed today for the edification of the church. They're needed today for the edification of the body. Now, I might have shared that story before when I was visiting a church down in Missouri. Soon after I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was a, a Baptist church. And, you know, a couple of my Baptist friends invited me to the church service. And, you know, I, I wasn't planning to go, but I uh, ended up going last minute. And so was was right next to them. And the way this was set up, basically the... They would open it up for different questions and different topics, and uh, people would ask a question, and then other people would give their thoughts, and then the youth pastor would give his final thoughts. So the very first question that was asked in this college gathering was about speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And so the youth pastor, he said, before I give my thoughts, is there anyone here that would like to say anything? He should have never asked that question. And so I tried to keep my hand down, but it went up. I had to keep in mind my Baptist friends were sitting right behind me. And, um, and he said, would you like to say something? I said, absolutely. I said, I have been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And I have seen without exaggeration, literally thousands of people baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues from the young to the old. Hallelujah. And he said, well, he said, I can tell you by the end of this discussion, we're not going to agree. But that whole night ended up being a discussion on the baptism with the Holy Ghost. And people just began to ask, well, what about this scripture? And what about that verse? And the whole night they were talking about speaking in tongues. And, you know, at the end of the night, somebody came up to me. He was probably the most cynical when it came to the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And he came up to me. He said, you know, I want to apologize if I came off as critical. I said, I'm not offended. But I said, I want to ask you a question. I said, what would you do if you walked into a church and you saw hundreds, if not thousands of people, hands lifted to God, worshiping God, speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance? What would you think about that? He said, well, I don't think I would ever see that. I said, well, my brother, we're past that because it is happening all around the world. There have literally been hundreds of millions of people all around this globe baptized in the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance, it's still for today. Hallelujah. It has not ceased. They can argue and argue and argue until they're blue in the face, but I'll take an experience over an argument any day. I know, I know it's real. All my doubts, they have been settled, and I know, I know it's real. Hallelujah. Man came too late to tell me it's no longer for today. Man came too late to tell me it's a thing of the past. Man came too late to tell me that it stopped in the days of the early church. This promise is for you and for your children and their children and for those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's still for today and it's still for you. And if you believe that, I want you to take a praise break and I'll keep on teaching here tonight. So who are the gifts for? I want to answer some of these questions that a lot of people might be asking out there. Who are the gifts for? I believe that any born-again believer, child of God, can be used 
in the gifts of the Spirit. Now, some believe that, and we'll be talking more about this later on, but some believe that when it comes to the utterance gift, speaking in tongues and prophecy, some believe that you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to operate in those gifts. We'll talk more about that. But, but how should the gifts of the Spirit be used? Because some people, um, and, and even when I first got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I really did not understand the purpose of, of speaking in tongues. And, and number one, they should be used in humility, with discernment, and with sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Humility, discernment, and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And, and really, there's biblical framework laid out in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 through 14 that really show us how the gifts of the Spirit ought to be in operation uh, today. Now, as far as the gifts, the gift of tongues, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 uh, and verse 27 says, Let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, meaning that they should not interrupt themselves. And then we see in that verse that the gift of tongues must be interpreted one at a time, which of course should be obvious. So, you know, as you know, for the church of Corinth that Paul was writing to, they were a very zealous church when it came to the gifts of the spirit. They were very zealous about the gifts of the spirit, but the, the issue was that the, the, the church of Corinth was getting uh, out of control and they are losing a, a godly order and a godly structure. And we'll talk more about that in the word of God. So what Paul said here is let there be no more than two or three. Now, there are some movements out there that just focus solely on uh, speaking in tongues and uh, the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And sometimes if, if, the, early, if the church isn't careful then it can become a greater emphasis in the preaching of the word of God and of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we'll, we'll talk more about that and really a healthy, uh, a healthy balance. Now, how are they misused? How are, they, how are the gifts of, of the spirit abused? Well, on the contrary to how they should be used, uh, they should not be used with pride, with arrogance, whenever God uses us in, in uh, any gift, uh, whether the utterance gifts or any of the other ones we'll talk about tonight. We should always ask God to, to keep us humble, amen? And the Spirit of God, he will, he will do that. And so um, we should also, we should be sensitive to uh, the Holy Spirit when it comes to uh, the gifts of the Spirit. Now, I believe that the Spirit of God, that he'll give you proper balance, uh, to where the gifts of the Spirit will never be forbidden. And, and let me say this too. I think that there's a difference between not just not forbidding the gifts of the Spirit, but actually having an atmosphere that cultivates a moving in the operation of the Holy Spirit. Because there's some churches that they, they wouldn't shut you down, but at the same time, there's not really an atmosphere that allows the Spirit of God to move. And, and when people do operate, I remember there's a church it was in Galveston, Texas, probably 800 people, and I felt an unction uh, to give a prophecy in that service. And, you know, when I got done, there were people looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. It was so foreign to them, like they had never seen it before. And, you know, oftentimes when churches get really big, and I've seen this even with some television ministries, is that they don't want the gifts of the Spirit in operation at all. Now, one thing I'm thankful for uh, when I was a part of Family Worship Center, when I lived down there, was that no matter how big the ministry got, they would always allow the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation and allow tongues and interpretation. And there are some other big TV ministries I've seen uh, that have allowed it, but oftentimes when a church gets big, uh, the more they grow, the less um, uncomfortable they want to make people. And so they just kind of they just kind of shut things down. And and the Bible warns that we should not forbid the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are for today. And, you know, there's a way for things to be done properly and in order. And we'll, uh, we'll talk uh, more about that. But it's a dangerous thing if the church gets to a place where they're seeking after signs and wonders. Because the Bible does not say to seek after signs and wonders. The Bible says to preach the truth, and these signs shall follow those who believe. And, and, you know, one of the questions some would ask is, does the, does the devil have counterfeit? Does the enemy uh, have a counterfeit? Well, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9 tells us that, that the devil, he's capable of performing lying signs and wonders, that, that Satan, he's a counterfeiter and mimics God in many ways. Now, uh, how many of you, have any of you ever been in New Orleans before? <clears throat> a 
couple of you. What were you now? What were you doing in New Orleans? Now is the time for confession. <laughs> you were at an Assemblies of God Council meeting. Okay, you are excused. Next. <laughs> Just kidding. We went down there for um, street evangelism. That was a you, you got by real well there. I, I I got nothing more to say about that. Uh, but New Orleans, it's a city that is dominated by Catholicism and rit witchcraft and Satanism. I mean, you know, we pre in, in uh first couple years of college, we used to go down to Bourbon Street pretty often and just preach right there in the middle of Bourbon Street. I mean, just huge uh, flow of traffic going both directions. And when you were sharing the gospel with people, there would be an anger. There would be a rage. I mean, people would come up to you and get in your face. There's so much anger. But, you know, I, I remember it was the first night I was there. Um, you know, I'm kind of like overwhelmed. First time you go down there, it's, it's a little overwhelming. And, you know, it's like a modern day Sodom and Gomorrah. And, you know, I'm just kind of taking it all in. And then right before the evangelism, somebody came up to me and he said, does this all bother you seeing all this stuff? I said, you know, it's a, it's a little uncomfortable, but you know, greater is he. And then right when I started that verse, he said, greater is he that is in you than he who is in this world. First John 4, 4. I thought, all right, that was a little strange. And then I was like, are you saved? And then he just kind of nodded his head. Yes. And then I said, are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? And then he started talking to me in, in a different language but I just felt grieved. I cringed on the inside because I knew it wasn't the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I realized as the night went on, I'd be out sharing the gospel with people. We'd be doing evangelism with people on the side, sidewalk. And I would just look off into a distance and that guy would be probably 30 feet away just staring at me just straight on through the crowd. I knew that the enemy was trying to use him as a distraction. And, you know, the devil, he's a counterfeiter. And you really, you see that uh, throughout the word of God, that he mimics God in many, in many ways. Uh, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, it tells us that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And so he, he mimics God. We see really throughout the word of God, different ways that Satan mimics God. Now we see in Revelation chapter two and verse nine, that Satan, that he has his own church. It's referred to uh, as the synagogue of Satan. We see that uh, in 2 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 4 and 5 that uh, Satan he has his own ministers ministers of of darkness that bring uh, false messages uh, we see that he has formulated his own system of theology you see that in first Timothy chapter 4 and 1 in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 24 that he has doctrines of uh, demons we see that uh, he proclaims a counterfeit gospel uh, Galatians uh, chapter 1 verses 7 uh, and 8 you see that the devil he's got uh, his own gospel. We see in Revelation uh, chapter 13 and verse 2 that he's got his own throne and he's got his own uh, worshipers. I know I'm going through this kind of quick, but you can watch the replay later on. Amen. We see that Satan, that he inspires uh, false Christs and uh, self-constituted messiahs. You see that in Matthew chapter 24, uh, verses 4 and 5. You see that Satan, that he employs false teachers who bring in uh, destructive heresies. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. You see that he sends out false prophets. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 11. And then you see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13 that he inspires false apostles who imitate the true ones. And so Satan... Satan, he is a deceiver. <clears throat> He's a counterfeiter. And so if the, if a child of God can be swept away by signs and wonders that will lead them away from the truth of God, then certainly I believe that the enemy will do it. He comes as an angel of light. And so that's why we've got to look at everything through the lens of the word of God and say, what does the Bible teach? What's the word of God say? Because if a ministry has a greater emphasis on signs and wonders than the blood of Jesus Christ, then that should be a red flag. I believe in the blood and I believe in signs and wonders, but I believe that the, the signs and wonders come as a result of the blood of Jesus being preached. I believe in preaching on signs and wonders, but I, I believe that the main emphasis has to be 
Jesus, it has to be Christ. So signs inspired by the Holy Spirit will always follow after the truth. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15 through 20. These signs shall follow those who believe. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs shall follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out devils, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying of signs, through signs and wonders. Hallelujah. And so Jesus, he confirmed his word uh, through the preaching of the word of God. He confirmed his word with signs and wonders. So we always, we have to make sure that the foundation of a movement of a church is the gospel, is the blood of Jesus Christ. Does it line up with the word of God? The word of God is the plumb line. How many of you have heard that word before? The plumb line. The plumb line, meaning the standard in which everything is measured. Acts chapter 17 and verse 11 tells, tells us that the Bereans received the message that Paul was preaching and with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what he said was true. Every day, they, they, it says they were eager to receive it, but every day they were searching the word of God to see whether or not those things were so. I say it all the time. I don't want you to believe what I preach just because I preach it. I want you to search the scriptures like the Bereans did and see if those things be so because the word of God is the plumb line. The word of God is the standard. So what happens if a prophecy goes forth that is unbiblical? I uh, told you the story of the prophecy I heard one time that said, uh, just as Abraham delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage instead of Moses. It was unbiblical. Did it cause any harm? Not really. And so was it addressed in that church? It was, I don't think it was really necessary. I think that it's not going to cause anybody to be led astray. I think that every situation has to be dealt uh, with differently. So sometimes there are things that go forth that, you know, will be unbiblical, but you've got to be careful because you don't want to discourage people from operating in the gifts. And, and some churches, they, they get to that point where they can discourage the people. And it takes faith to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. It takes faith to step out in obedience to the unction of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, I remember when I was an RA in Bible college, there were times when one particular time in a prayer meeting we had, somebody had given a prophecy. And it was like the Spirit of God was moving. The Holy Spirit was moving in a powerful way. And then it was like, once that word went forth, it was like, Ichabod, the Holy Ghost has just departed. And it caused a lot of confusion for people. I, I remember talking to that individual privately. I didn't feel like that's a situation to deal with uh, as a whole. It was just on a private basis. I said, man, I don't want to discourage you because I believe that God was using him in the gift. But I said, I just encourage you to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And there were times even early on after I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and had, had operated in those gifts that I kind of, you know, I was learning to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I had uh, seasoned men and women, uh, men of God that had come up and kind of given me a word of encouragement that helped me to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So you never want to discourage people from operating in the gift uh, that, you know, God is truly using in the gift. Now, I remember when... Uh, David Board one time he was preaching in the Bible College Chapel in Baton Rouge and people were just kind of tired and not really responsive. And he's like, man, are y'all awake? You know, and then somebody said, hallelujah, glory to God. And he was like, well, that was in the flesh, but I'll take what I can get. <laughs> but, but what do you do, you know, if a prophecy goes uh, forth in, in churches? I saw this at Family Worship Center before where, you know, sometimes you got big, you know, TV cameras are all around and, and some people, they can get carried away. And, you know, I remember one time Brother Swagger was out there on the platform and somebody, you know, was up there right uh, by the altar and began to give a message. And, you know, the beginning, it started out fine. And then it was just all over the place, not making any sense. And really it was becoming a disruptive to the service. And he said, my brother, my brother, you're not operating in the spirit of the Lord. 
And I felt like that was such a good example because it sets an example for other churches that were watching by television that, you know, you want to allow the gifts of the spirit, but if it becomes something like that situation, then you have to, you have to deal with that situation. And uh, so, you know, you want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit on how you deal uh, with those different situations. Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22, it says that tongues are not assigned to them who believe, but those who believe not. Again, tongues are not assigned to those who believe, but those who believe not. That they're, It's actually assigned to the unbeliever. And the reason why that's important is because, as I mentioned, some bigger churches, I've been to some large Pentecostal churches, I, I saw it firsthand, where they would give an invitation for the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with tongues. But they, they said, we have this side room for you over here. You can go through those doors over there and we'll have some people out there to pray for you. And to me, and I don't want to sound judgmental, but to me, it comes off as them being embarrassed of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says here that tongues are a sign, not for the believer, but for the unbeliever. And, 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 and so it's usually, for me, it was once I saw people praying in the Holy Spirit and I saw the gifts of the Spirit in operation. Was it different than what I was used to? Absolutely. But it gave me a hunger and it got me thinking and made me realize, hey, this is real. I need to get in the word of God and see what the Bible has to say about this. And so we got to be careful in the church world and even in the Pentecostal circle to come to a place where we are ashamed of speaking in tongues and we're ashamed of, of uh, tongues being in operation because it is assigned to the unbeliever. Now, I want to give you the three different categories that are often used to teach on the nine gifts of the spirit. And then I want to define each gift for you. The first category is referred to as the power gifts, the power gifts. That includes the gift of faith, the gift of healing, and the working of miracles, oftentimes referred to as the power gifts. Now, first I'll deal with uh, the gift of faith. I believe that the gift of faith is a gift that supplies a supernatural measure of faith to believe God for extraordinary things. Now, Although God has dealt every believer a measure of faith, and, and really you see that in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, where Paul said, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And so God has dealt, as a believer, every believer has been given a measure of faith. The faith that you have to believe God was faith that was given to you by God, but the gift of faith here, I believe that this is a special kind of faith. I believe that, that, that this goes beyond just a measure of faith. This is a special gift to believe God for great and mighty things. It's a, it's a tenacious faith uh, that doesn't give up. You know, I was in Baton Rouge when they started up uh, uh, Sun Life Broadcasting Network. I lived down there, and I, I remember hearing the story when Brother Swagger had first said, God has called us to start up a worldwide television network at 75 years old. Everybody in that meeting said, you're crazy. And he said, I know what God is telling me to do. And he stepped out in faith. He had that, that, that ability to believe God. Some would say that's a, a gift of faith. And God, he gives certain people, the Spirit of God distributes to some a, a special gift to believe God for great and mighty things. A special faith to trust God to do extraordinary, miraculous things. And this is a gift that is still in operation in the church today. We, we should all pray, God, I want the gift of faith. I want to I want to have a gift, uh, an ability to believe you beyond the norm, beyond the ordinary, to believe you for supernatural, miraculous, extraordinary things. And so that gift, it is still for the church today. And then you have the gift of healing, which I, I believe is a special gift to pray for the sick and to see them healed. And I believe that this gift is still in operation in the church today. I've said it before. That when Jesus was alive, they believed that he could heal, but they did not believe that he could save. In 2022, many believe that Jesus can save, but they do not believe that he can heal. And yet those two things are connected. He is the savior and he is the healer. And I believe that God gives some a special gift to pray for people and to see people healed by the power of God. And then you see the working of miracles. And I believe that 
that this here, it's really a special gift that is given and directed by the Holy Spirit to see and do extraordinary things in one's life and ministry. The working of miracles. God, he's a miracle working God, and we ought to believe God to perform miracles in his life. I have seen God perform many, many miracles in my personal life and ministry, and God, he's still performing miracles today. You still serve a miracle working God. You still serve a God that does the miraculous. You've got the power of the Holy Ghost, the same power, miracle-working power that rose Jesus from the dead is now working in you and now working through you, and that gift is still in the church today. Hallelujah. He's still performing miracles. He's still using people in the working of miracles, and so you have the, the power gifts, and then you have the revelation gifts. Now, the revelation gifts... Refer to the word uh, refer to a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. Now I was contemplating whether or not to tell a joke, but I think I will. Should I? Yeah, I should. I should. But you know, I had I mentioned I met a couple Mormons uh, last week. And, you know, the Mormons have something referred to as uh, Joseph Smith's word of wisdom. And uh, one of the aspects of that is they tell their congregants not to drink coffee. I do not think that's a word of wisdom. Can I tell you that here tonight? I, God gave us coffee, and coffee is a blessing from heaven. Thank God for coffee. Thank God for lattes. Thank God for espresso. Hallelujah. Praise God. So I don't think that was a word of wisdom. Anyway, getting back to a word of wisdom. A word of wisdom, it pertains to information concerning the future, whether a people, place, or things. Oh, if, again, it pertains to uh, information concerning the future, whether a people, place, or things. And then a word of knowledge concerns the past or the present relative to persons, places, or things. And, and really the, the, the words there, uh, the, word, the word of, it literally means a small amount. And so this isn't speaking of a sermon, but generally a concise word. Have you ever had somebody just give you a, a, a concise word of wisdom, a concise word of knowledge for the season that you're in and the place where you're at in your life? I could tell you many, many times throughout life and ministry where God used somebody just to give a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. It wasn't real elaborate. It wasn't real lengthy. It was something concise, and it was exactly what I needed to hear. And I believe that God is still using the church today, using those in the church to operate in the gift of wisdom, uh, uh, used to give a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge. And then you have discerning of spirits, discerning of spirits, which is, is really when the spirit of God gives you uh, enlightenment on what's happening in the spirit realm, uh, things that are, you know, backed by the spirit of God and then things that are not backed by the Spirit of God. He gives you uh, discernment. Now, one thing I have seen before that can become an issue is that some people are looking for a devil behind every bush. Have you ever heard that saying before? Looking for a devil behind every bush. You know, um, I, I knew somebody like that, that everything, they were like afraid that the devil was behind it, you know? And it's just crazy. They wouldn't stay at certain hotels because the emblem on the on the on the hotel sign it looked New Age, and so I can't I can't go there. I can't spend my vacation there. Or, you know, just it's almost like a fear based kind of thing. And and as a child of God, God has not called us to live in fear. And and even the disciples when they saw those that were delivered from demonic powers and they were they were happy jesus said don't rejoice that you have power over the evil one rather rejoice that your names are written down in heaven rather rejoice that your names are written down in glory and so my focus isn't on the devil my focus i'm not searching for the devil behind every bush because we've got all power and authority and when the devil raises his head i believe god will give you discernment to know amen 
Sometimes God will give you a discernment into the intentions of people and those around you and allow you to see things. Uh, ungodly intentions. You know, somebody had, uh, one thing that kind of is frustrating in ministry is sometimes people will like create an account under your name to try to get money. And I had somebody do that to, to me on Instagram, somebody from Nigeria. And, you know, I called it out and then somebody, you know, tried to attack me for it and say, why are you attacking them? They're, they're preaching the gospel. I'm sorry, the God doesn't need the devil to help him do his work. Amen. The devil doesn't need deception and misguidance to accomplish his work. Amen. I don't need the devil to preach the gospel for me. I'll preach the gospel myself. Amen. But God, he'll give you a discernment. He'll, he'll allow you to sometimes see the intents and motivation of one's heart and, and to handle it. He'll, he'll allow people to see things that can handle it and deal with it maturely. I think that some God will not use in certain gifts because he knows that they may not be able to handle it. And so through maturity, when God knows that he can show you something and it won't destroy you, it won't ruin you, it won't distract you, it won't get you off course, I believe that the Spirit of God will be more apt to use us in those gifts. And so God, he's still using believers uh, in the gift of discerning of spirits. And then you have the utterance gifts. The utterance gifts refer to uh, prophecy, diverse tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Again, prophecy, diverse tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Now, prophecy, we've defined it, defined it before as both the foretelling and the foretelling of the Word of God. And you see that in uh, throughout the Word of God that prophets wouldn't just... Uh, speak, uh, uh, they wouldn't just foretell of the word of God. Sometimes they would just foretell of the word of God. And so I believe it's a combination of, of both. Now this here is speaking of the gift of prophecy though, which is separate from the office of a prophet. And first Corinthians chapter 14 verse three tells us that this is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Again, it's for edification, exhortation, and comfort. And so one thing that you see here is that it's not intended for rebuke. Uh, and the reason why that's important is because sometimes, you know, you'll see people, you know, go into churches that they don't agree with and they'll start shouting and, and, and yelling things, trying to rebuke the, the congregation. But that's not of the spirit of God. That's of the flesh. Because prophecy is intended to edify, to exhort, and to bring comfort to all men. So this here has nothing to do with the office of a prophet. Now you have diverse tongues. Diverse tongues, and these are tongues that are spoken and meant to be interpreted. So a lot of people, they have never heard the distinction between the prayer language that we're given as a born-again believer or as a believer baptized in the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues here. I told you about a local pastor nearby who uh, comes from a non-spirit-filled uh, background, and he was asking me what the difference was between uh, prayer language and, and uh, tongues for the purpose of edifying the body. He was saying, you know, uh, it's like we believe in the Holy Spirit, but it's like he said we just don't know what to do with it. And I think a lot of churches out there, they believe in the Holy Spirit and they believe in tongues, but they don't just don't understand the purpose of it. And they don't understand a lot of verses in context. So one of the things that will help to bring clarity on that is a twofold purpose of speaking in tongues. Number one, the first purpose in speaking in tongues is to bring edify, edification to ourself. And that, that's in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 4. It says that those who speak in an unknown tongue, that they edify themselves. So when you pray in that language inspired by the Spirit of God, it brings edification to you as a child of God. How many of you need edification? How many of you need to be edified and built up in the Spirit? And so speaking in tongues, that prayer language that you receive the moment you get baptized in the Holy Spirit is for just that. What is tongues? Tongues are languages of men or of angels. You see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1. So I believe that they're either a language spoken currently or sometime in times past by man, or they are uh, tongues of angels. Now, the Bible says uh, in verse uh, chapter 14, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians, uh, that they speak mysteries not unto men, but unto God. 
So that means that when you're praying in an unknown tongue, that you're speaking mysteries, meaning that you don't understand what you're praying, but because it's inspired by the Spirit of God, it's perfectly according to the will of God. And this is important because a lot of people who try to delegitimize speaking in tongues in, uh, in general, they think that speaking in tongues is for the purpose of uh, evangelism. And so they say that if speaking in tongues was still for today, that missionaries would no, they, they would no longer have to go to school to learn a foreign language, that they could just go out on the mission field and that God would preach through them through that foreign language. But that's where they misunderstand the purpose in speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is not for the purpose of evangelism. It says they speak not unto men, but unto God. And so it's a prayer language that brings edification to the speaker. It brings edification to the believer. I met one individual. They said that they uh, speak in tongues. I knew that they weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I, I said, well, what do you mean by that? They were also a Mormon, but this was a different Mormon. This was a Mormon in Louisiana. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? They said, well, I preach in Spanish. I said, well, did you learn Spanish? They said, yes. I said, well, I learned Spanish too. I can preach in Spanish, but that's not an unknown tongue. That's a language that you learn that has nothing to do with what Paul is talking about here in the book of 1 Corinthians. So uh, I want to take you to another verse. I won't hold you too much longer here tonight, but I want to finish getting through these gifts here. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 30, because some people uh, would reference that do all speak with tongues. Uh, you, we've said it before that we as a church believe that every believer that has been baptized in the Holy Spirit will speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. We believe that it always accompanies the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and we believe that that is something for every born-again child of God. Anybody who has been saved, has been born again, can be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking with other tongues. And so sometimes people will reference this and say, well, do all speak with tongues? And they do this to basically dismiss their need for the baptism with the Holy Spirit because they take this as, well, I don't, God must not want me to speak in tongues because I've never spoken in tongues. God will never force you to speak in tongues because he will not override your free will. You have to ask him for the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that if earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will the Holy Spirit, how much will, will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so you've got to ask God for the Holy Spirit, and then you've got to yield yourself to the Spirit of God because you're not a robot. You still have a free will, and so you've got to submit your will to his will and say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Ghost. And when God baptizes you in the Holy Spirit, he'll never force you to speak with tongues, but you start it and he finishes it, and it just begins. Sometimes it's just stammering lips, and then it just begins to flow. Hallelujah. Sometimes it's just one word, and then it just begins to flow like a river. But when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will know that you 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 know. I could keep going on all night. You will know that you know that you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. You will know that it is real. Hallelujah. There will be absolutely no doubt. And so this here in chapter 12 and verse 30, it's not speaking of the initial baptism with the Holy Spirit, which is always accompanied by speaking with other tongues, but rather this is the gift of tongues that Paul is dressing, which all do not have, although baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so although um, everyone baptized in the Holy Spirit has that prayer language and the ability to pray in tongues, not everybody is used in the gift of tongues. Now, I want to take you here. Uh, I want to deal quickly with the interpretation of tongues. Interpretation of tongues is a specific message for specific people at a specific time. Again, a specific message for specific people at a specific time. And some would ask the question, well, what do you do if somebody gives an utterance in a congregation and then there's no interpretation? Well, as a pastor, as a leader, you know, we oftentimes say, if the Lord's given you the interpretation, please give it now. And if nobody gives the interpretation, probably the best thing to do is to continue on with the service. 
But some might ask, well, why does that happen? Well, I believe that there's really a couple different possibilities. One of them being that the person that God wanted to use to give the interpretation to the tongues, God was given the unction to, but they didn't step out in obedience. I think in other occasions, somebody can give an utterance in the flesh, but it can vary. And either way, you know, you got to pick it up. Now, Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 11 says, with stammering lips and an unknown tongue, will he speak to his people? Hallelujah. And so this was prophesied all the way back in, in the Old Testament that God would use stammering lips and an unknown tongue to speak to his people. And he's still doing that today. How many of you believe that here tonight? He's still using unknown tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy to speak to his people. And it says in verse 12, if you go to verse 12, that it brings rest and refreshment. Tongues, and uh, when God gives you a word, we heard a word tonight. When God gives a word, it brings rest, it brings peace, it brings refreshment, it brings strength, it brings edification. And so those are some of the purposes of uh, God speaking through tongues and through uh, interpretation. Really, Paul, he also, he references these same verses here in first, first Corinthians chapter 14, uh, in verse 21. And then lastly, you have the gift of prophecy and the gift of prophecy, uh, we believe is different from, uh, the, the office of a prophet. And again, that is whenever God uses somebody to foretell, uh, and sometimes foretell, uh, the word of God, but it's for specific people. It's a specific message for specific people at a specific time. When God knows that his people need to hear a, a certain word, uh, a body of believers need to hear a, a certain word. I, I remember when we would have prayer meetings before going on the mission field, the first trip to Honduras, we would pray, we would seek God, and, and tongues and interpretation would go forth, and it would bring a peace when we went out there on the mission field because we knew that God was about to move. And God used people to prophesy of what he was going to do on those mission trips. And it brings edification. And singers can come back here tonight. It brings edification to the church. And so God, he's still using believers in the gift of prophecy. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 39, it tells us not to, not to forbid speaking in tongues. And really this applies to all of the gifts of the spirit that we, we as a church, as a body of Christ, that we should not forbid the gifts of the spirit, but we should desire the gifts of the spirit. We should desire for God to use believers in the gifts of the spirit. And we should have an atmosphere that allows the spirit of God to move in that capacity. We are a church that believes in all nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. 